The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. When we last spoke, it was just before Thanksgiving. Warren had gone off to see Terence White in New Hope, and Terence, now Director White, straightened Warren out about his grandpapa, his history, and warned him of the impending danger that had come to Montgomery. Both men were left with a strong sense of concern. Warren, because he can't reach Detective Moran, and Terence, because Jonah is missing. Really? Again? Can this man not get lost somehow? Sheesh. So we returned this Tentacle Tuesday to a few days prior to Warren's visit, to the cemetery by the cottage, to a man that has deep roots in the darkness. Obviously, before we do all of that, I must offer the disclaimer that this podcast can contain images of graphic violence, child endangerment, and of course, naughty, salty language. Now... Let's get reacquainted with another old friend as Tentacle Tuesday returns with Chapter 11, Jonah Hollander. Didn't we use that name before? Whatever. <laughs> Jonah stepped through the Solomon Gate and into the old cemetery near the cottage and frowned. A blanket of snow covered most of it. What he could see had been overgrown with shrubs and vines. Some of the grave markers had cracked from exposure, and even the mausoleum, which had been used as the gate for centuries, was wearing down. Judging by its appearance, he would be the last person to use it, at least until that day. And then only a special key would be able to access it. He put his hand to the stone and whispered to it, knowing that the spirit that lived inside would hear him. Then, turning to the cottage, he made his way through the snow-covered ground. Snow. That greatly troubled him. He wondered what month it was. He was supposed to arrive here in November, but by the look and feel of his surroundings, it was more late January or February. Why? What could have caused the delay? Was it merely the age of the gate, or a malfunction of some sort? Even more troubling, with him being so late, he wondered what had transpired since they got the news that something evil was afoot in Montgomery. He took a deep breath and started to collect his thoughts. The air was bitter, cold, and stung his cheeks. He pulled his large brown robe and hood over him and looked towards the woods. He thought back to the last time he was here, how vibrant the sky and air seemed. He and Mr. Alistair had watched from there as they laid Jack Stevens to rest. He had barely met Jack. Uriel had brought him here when she decided to make him her apprentice. He was so alive and full of energy that day. Yet a hint of sadness lingered behind those bright eyes of his. Jonah had been training with Mr. Alistair that day honing his skills when a cardinal brought the news. He remembered how it circled overhead like a hawk before descending. It landed on Mr. Alistair's shoulders, whose face became grave with sadness. Soon after, the area around the tower seemed to be filled with dignitaries of all types and ages. Uriel had argued that he should stay here and train, but Terence and Caitlin thought he should see the legacy that Jack left and exactly whose shoes he'd eventually fill. It accomplished what they desired. He kept that image, though faces in his heart over the years, swearing to them that he'd eventually lead him to victory over the Cadric Order. It was hard to believe 
that was already 15 years ago, and as promised, he had grown in stature and power, and now stood as leader of the Sacred Dawn, and the heavy burdens that accompanied such a role. Pushing aside the snow from the Iron Gate, he left the cemetery and headed towards the cottage. Snow nearly covered it, and it was evident that no one had been here since after the storm. Walking around the place until he finally reached the front door, he smiled. Somehow Jack knew that Mr. Alistair would be an integral part of their mission and had built the place to allow him entry. He went to find a key, but the door opened for him as if the place expected him. Although dark, it was warm. A fire burned low and he could feel the presence of someone else here. Interesting, he said to himself, and he made his way inside. Moving past the living room and through the kitchen, he continued to pursue whomever lingered here. Was it Jack's spirit? Sam? No. Neither seemed to fit the unusual pull the spirit had on him. Whoever it was seemed to be just beyond his own periphery. I don't know who's here, but I mean you no harm, he called out to the empty room. But no one answered him and nothing moved. Whoever this was, they did not want to interact with him. Fine, I will pursue you no further, but I do warn you, if you try to do anything I deem evil, I will tear you from whatever place you linger and destroy you. Nothing. No response. Just a sense of amusement. Jonah was beyond curious, but did as he promised and let the presence be and got to work. He reached into his long brown robe and pulled forth what appeared to be a scroll. Unfurling it on one of the beds, he passed his hand over what appeared to be a blank sheet. Instantly, colors and forms took shape, and he was now looking at the small city. Where is he? he murmured, but no answer. However, he could see several, what could only be described as strings of presence, faintly coming from one location. That had to be where he lived. He would head there and wait, but as he thought that, something else caught his attention. On the map, a patch of sheer darkness smoldered. That's not good, he said to himself, as he pondered it and the location. The delay, and whatever it caused it, had allowed this evil to fester and gain strength. So much for an easy in and out. He sat down on the bed and pulled aside his robe, revealing a leather satchel. I'll need to investigate that and see if I can get a better handle on what's happening here. With that, he opened his bag and did an inspection. He had 12 vials for purification, nicknamed the Apostles. These would purify any ground driving forth most evil spirits or demons. Closing the bag, he rose from the bed and made his way back to the living room. A fire burned in the hearth and the rocking chair moved to and fro. Turning to it and bowing, he said, Thank you for your hospitality. I'll be going now. The door behind him opened. You're one curious spirit, he said. Hopefully one day you'll feel more comfortable with... The door banged a couple of times. Right. I'll take my leave. Jonah stepped outside the cabin and looked back over the snow-covered hillside. The sun was now low and a golden light spilt across the horizon and through the trees. Looking at it, he understood why Jack had chosen this place. It took several hours to make his way down the road to a small bridge that crossed a creek that flowed into the woods. The roadway split the old wood, and if he was correct, he could follow the stream towards the place of contamination. Good, he thought. Less likely he'd run into any of the locals before he had a chance to speak with Warren. I wonder if he'll remember me, he mused, as he slid down the embankment and to the creek side. The brush came up to the edge of the water, 
leaving not much of a path. Jonah looked around quickly for a heavy branch, broke it off and used it as a staff to help balance himself as he stepped into the water. Even with the boots, he could tell the water was freezing cold. Making his way down towards the same hillside Devin had taken a few months earlier, he could see the foreboding structure. Like on his map, it stood like a dark blot on the horizon, as if it was a void. A heavy red aura permeated the structure, invisible to those without sight. A sense of dread seemed to come from the structure, as if it anticipated him. He tapped the bag on his side. I may need more of you than this, he thought to himself. He crossed a snow-covered field and approached the structure. It moaned in defiance to his presence. Undoing the satchel, he took out one of the vials. Each were shaped like a long silver dart with the symbol of the word at the top. He lifted the first one into the air and shouted, Matthias! A blaze of light blue struck the ground like lightning, and he began to walk in a circle around the mansion. Simon! Again with a spark of blue and the crackle of light, the holy marker hit the ground. Then, as if completing an invisible circuit, a stream of light ran out, back to the first marker. A shot rang out in the air. Freeze! A voice demanded. Jonah raised his hands in the air and slowly turned around. Jay Moran eyed the man in the brown cloak and carefully indicated with his gun to move away from the marker he had just placed. Officer? Jonah asked. Detective, he replied with disgust. Is there something I can help you with? The detective slowly made his way to the marker, keeping his gun and eye on the man in the robe. You can start by telling me what you're doing. I don't think you'll understand. No. He dug into the snow with his left hand until he felt the cold metallic top of the marker. You should leave that where it is, detective, Jonas said, arms still raised. But Detective Moran pulled it out and clenched it in his hand. It felt alive somehow against his skin. Try me, mister, he insisted. We've already had a few strange deaths related to that house, Jay said, pointing at it. And now, just like 15 years ago, you weirdos in brown show up. I'd say that's more than a coincidence. Detective, you need to trust me and... I need to trust you? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think so, he said, cutting Jonah off before he could finish. I think we'll need to finish this conversation back at my station. As you wish, Detective, Jonah replied, slowly lowering his arms and putting them out so the detective could handcuff him. But I tell you now, not letting me finish my work here is a horrible mistake. I'm sure it is, Jay replied. Unfortunately for you, you won't have time to burn down this place and destroy the evidence like you did 15 years ago. Jay moved forward, and as he did so, Jonah spun around, kicking snow into his face. You son of a... But it wasn't as if the man tried to escape. Something black emerged from the folds of his cloak, and he called out in a loud voice. Maggie, go tell Director White what has transpired here. As the crow flew off, Detective Moran spun him back around and pressed him into the snow. What was that? A crow. Is it illegal? No. But assaulting an officer and resisting arrest is, Jay replied. You're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. That anything you say may be used against you in court. You have a right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, one will be provided for you. And mister, you're going to need one after that little stunt. He pulled the man in the brown cloak back off the ground and started marching him to his car. Maggie. 
That's an unusual name for a crow, Jay said, the bird already out of sight. Is it? Jonah replied. Jay pushed him down into the back seat and Jonah looked back at the house. He could sense a pair of evil eyes looking down at them. Detective, I will plead with you one last time. Please, let me finish my work here. I promise you, I'll let you take me in afterwards. You are finished, Detective Moran snapped back. Then you're making a horrible mistake. One I pray that doesn't come back to haunt all of us. Maggie watched as the two men drove away. She too turned and looked at the house. She recognized the evil that was growing inside. Cassandra, what evil have you wrought this time? Unfortunately, as she is now, she could not confront her. That would need to wait for another time. For now, she would do as commanded. She flew off, focusing on the message Jonah had relayed to her. She'd need to trust Jonah with his decision to get arrested when she knew darn well he could have incapacitated the man and just finished his work. About eight hours later, they brought Jonah into the interrogation room and took off his cuffs. Have a seat. Mr. Hollander, is it? Detective Moran pointed to a chair. Thank you, Jonah replied and sat. Coffee? Water? Water. Thank you. You have an interesting file, Mr. Hollander. <laughs> I'm not surprised, Jonah replied. However, there's nothing criminal about being a former missing child. No, no, there's not, Jake confirmed. However, we have a ton of questions. Okay, what do you want to know? Jake put the picture of him next to the big man on the table. We know you were here in Montgomery 15 years ago. Is that illegal, detective? No, but we'd like to know why and who was that man next to you in that picture. A. I was attending a funeral. From a quarter mile off? Yes, it was for my protection. Your protection? You were a missing child. A child whose fingerprints showed up in an arson case in Rift and... And B, I was friends with Jack and Warren. The door behind them opened and Chief Reynolds stepped through. You say you were friends with Warren? Yes. Then do you know what happened to him and his family? I do. But I don't think you'll believe me. Try us. No, not yet. Why not? I have my reasons. Listen, you son of a bitch, Jay began, but the chief calmed him down. Detective Moran. I will tell you, Jonah said, that this case is related. The chief placed a newly recovered claw on the table. Oh, we already know that, Mr. Hollander. We also know that this doesn't belong to anything human and I want to know how you and your people are involved. Gentlemen, I will tell you everything I know, but not until Warren gets here. Well, that's going to be a problem, Mr. Hollander. He took a leave to see an old colleague of yours in New Hope and won't be back for at least another day or two. Another delay, Jonah thought to himself. Not good. But since this did involve Warren directly, he wanted to talk to him first. However... If he's gone to see the director... Jonah picked up the claw and held it up under the light. It immediately began to glow, an ominous red. Are you familiar with demons and devils? He asked. Jay shot him a look of disbelief. Oh, you're not going to blame a fantasy for all this. I wish it was a fantasy or superstition, Detective Moran. 
but I know all too well about the monsters that lurk in the shadows. At that, he started to unwrap his left arm. It was pitch black from the elbow down. He began to react to the claw on the table. A blue crackle of light seemed to pulse down it to the palm of his hand. And I'm afraid that one of these fantasies has come to dwell in your little city. And if you don't let me finish my work, it may do more damage than you can imagine. Detective Moran is not amused. He certainly is not convinced. He thinks Jonah is full of crap. And that waiting for Warren to return is a huge waste of time. So he returns next week to the Winter Residence. I wonder if he remembers the warning he received in Chapter 5. As we continue the story with Chapter 12, A Death in the Family. Don't go in, Detective. Don't go in. <laughs>